Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Dr. Scott Jensen Podcast. My name is Andy Schmidt. I'm here with Dr. Scott Jensen and Dr. Jackie Conley. Thanks for joining. Thanks. So we're just going to jump into it. hold it. Relationship? Yes. Sorry, sorry, sorry. So you got father Scott Jensen and daughter Jackie Conley, right? That's correct? Okay. So we're going to jump into it like we always do because we always just go right into it. I got to ask you, what has it been like to work with, with your dad? Yeah, it's been. <laughs> <laughs> tell all, tell all. Yeah, it's it's been about what I expected. Um, so I went, you know, I always thought I would be a doctor, right? I, dad was a doctor. I, I kind of thought that was my thing. I was going to do it. So went to undergrad, got my degree, went to med school up in Duluth, uh, went to my residency in family medicine. Dad actually was one of my preceptors when I was there, which was unique. I, I, I often heard like short story, short, shorten it up, tighten it up. Uh, when I was telling him about patients. Are you saying that I wasn't the e- most easygoing no, preceptor? I don't think anyone would say you were the most easy. <laughs> I don't think you would be on the list of easygoing preceptors. Okay, fair enough. Yep. Um, so then I, I started to work with a big, bigger system, and I dad had his clinic. And in the back of my mind, I kind of always thought we'd work together. Didn't know how it was going to play out. And then pieces kind of fell into place. Second clinic got started. There was an opportunity now for me to come over and the timing just really worked out. I loved the idea of doing patient care, but also having more of an administration role, helping run the clinic, getting involved in something outside of direct patient care. And that's been exactly what I got. Do you think when you made the decision to come over to work for Catalyst and leaving a larger organization, was part of what drove your decision also, the fact that you thought that the, the mission of a smaller clinic and the way in which patient care was delivered intersected more or less naturally for you? Absolutely, yeah. I Being in a bigger system, you, I just didn't feel as much, and I don't think I realized this at the time, I didn't feel as much, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Control is the wrong word, but like I had my patients were my patients. I felt as though I was one of the pieces, but the relationship I had with him was not necessarily one-on-one. It felt like there was always... I think you wanted to invest more yes. into your Thank patients. You. I think you wanted <laughs> there we to, go. I think, <laughs> I think you wanted to be an advocate for them because you knew that if you, if you could gain that foothold with your patients, they would trust you. Yep. And, and that, that's the good spiral, yes. the advocacy trust. It just works. I hadn't realized how much fun my job could be until I came here and now I look at my schedule for a day and I'm like awesome I look at it and there's there's people on there that I've been seeing now for three years there's people that I can't wait to find out how their kids doing how their daughter's doing it's just it's amazing well you know I remember your mom uh Mary is a veterinarian and I remember she spent a fair amount of her career in a clinic that was probably 30 to 45 minutes away in south Minneapolis and I think she very much enjoyed the intellectual stimulation, the variety of patients. I mean, she would do dogs, cats, snakes, cockatoos, iguanas, the whole the whole gamut. But I remember when she f- took a different position, perhaps for the last 15, 20 years of her career, she was now a couple miles away from her home, yeah. the place where she lived, shopped, and all those kinds of things. And she wasn't sure, how's that going to feel when I'm taking care of people that I'm interfacing with routinely. These are my friends, my loved ones, 
things like that. And I think Mary really, she really grew to love it. She, you know, it's another dimension. At one level, you could say, well, there's a little pressure on you because this might be someone that you see at church. And so if you're ruder than rude or you drop the ball, you know, you're, you're going to be looking straight at him. And that can be hard, especially if, if you know that this patient, despite the best of medical care, is going to do poorly. And you see that, that patient who is, well, potentially a, a friend as well. You see them and you know that things aren't going to go well the next couple of years. But I think, I think the cost, I think it's worth it. The benefits outweigh the downside 100%. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got a question. You guys talk about this, the relationship between the doctor and the patient. I'm not a doctor, and I rarely ever go to the doctor's office. So I don't. Oh, with the look of your eye. Slight black no, eye. I'm trying to make yeah. like could clear you to see everybody. if you could look up and down? I'm a okay. tough guy, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Scott. You know, yeah. I don't need to go to the doctor. Is that makeup? It is makeup. Okay. Yeah, I put um, that on there. Just he fell in the bathroom when he was trying to go to the bathroom at right. night. Yeah, and I told everybody that I got into a fight. So, yeah. um, but you wrote a book called Relationships Matter, and it's kind of about this, the relationship between the patient and the doctor. And I wonder, can you kind of expand on the idea of like some of these bigger hospitals or bigger corporations or whatever they maybe look at? Here's what I'm hearing is that they maybe look at the patient as a more abstract object rather than a than like a personal re- a relationship with them. And, and how is that, how does that make or break how you deal sure. with things in the medical field? Um, it, it, I think it make, make or break, can make or break patients' care and, how, and their outcomes. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a doctor who's, who's invested, if you have a doctor who is, is by your side and, and walking you through whatever experience you're going through, emotionally, mentally, you're stronger, I think your outcomes are going to be better. Hmm. And I think that's something that you get in a smaller setting, whereas in in bigger ones, it's, I mean, I remember when I was with this bigger system, I gotten, I went in a ditch on my way into work. Hmm. I tried to call my clinic to let them know I was in a ditch. Hmm. And I, the phone number to my clinic routed me to a call center in Bloomington. And so I couldn't get a hold of anyone to tell them I was in a ditch, I was going to be late. And so my patients have had no way of getting to yeah. me. Here, you call that front desk. Crystal will get you right back to me in about a heartbeat. Yeah. I remember when we started Catalyst Clinic in 2001, I would carry the appointment book. And we had a special cell phone. And so the phone would ring and I'd answer, hello, Catalyst Medical Clinic, how can I help you? And a patient would say, I'd like to see Dr. Jensen. And I'd say, well, he's got openings on Tuesday afternoon and Friday morning. And they'd say, well, could I come in Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock or something? And I'd say, yes, we've got it down. Could we have a phone number? I'd write it in there. I'd get off the phone. And I would say yes, because I just went from four patients that day to five. And I remember you having sort of the same thing when you started here. You just, you'd call me and say, Dad, I had... 10 patients I saw today. I'm not just seeing two people. I saw 10 patients today. And it's, it's, patients don't realize it's way more fun to be a patient in a clinic if you feel like you're a cherished part of that clinic's activity for the day. If you feel like just a number where if you say, well, I'm upset, I'm not going to go to this clinic anymore. If the attitude is, shoot a mile. We got five more people waiting in line. You're just a number anyway. You know, have at it. I think that really matters. Patients, they need to try to find that place where they're cherished. Mm -hmm. Well, I think you can draw some sort of parallels from 
finding the patient that their the relationship between the the doctor and the patient and how that's super important to some of the policies that we saw in the last year about lockdowns and how people maybe were looked at as that abstract object that you can everybody like one, one size fits all everybody needs to go to lockdown and we didn't see how the effects of mental health and suicide and depression and so what type of i mean do you have i know you've talked about these types of things so yeah <clears throat> excuse me we it's been it's been it's been a tough couple couple years um i'm you know i think people were much more impacted by some of the isolation that happened over the last 18 months than they realized and, and now that things are opening up people are getting out and we're kind of out of that flight fight or flight that people a lot of people were in mm-hmm. I, as we look back it, it i people are being like wow that was that was rough. That was brutal. Maybe I, I did some things. I said some things. I, I went down paths I didn't really want to go down. And now we're walking it back and trying to get back on the right track in terms of, you know, relationships that maybe were fractured with families, friction that developed when people, you know, were stuck together for four, six, 18 weeks. And, you know, whatever it was, you're stuck in this right. space where, you know, humans, I don't think we're supposed to to be like that so it's had a lot of impact I think on, on both mental health and, and physical health yeah. you know my patients come in they've gained weight and they said it's the COVID-19 yeah. I was like is that like the freshman 15 yeah I said yes it is it's the COVID-30 for me. <laughs> <laughs> freshman in college you gained 15 pounds yeah. COVID-19 you gained 19 19 30 uh, it was bad I, I'm not kidding I literally gained I think like 25 pounds over COVID. Oh, we might want to talk about we can this talk about that. I'm going to make yeah. Yeah. I don't know come see I'm me this, come see me like, I'll come and see you. I need some help. <laughs> I do think that uh, during the lockdown, I think I heard Jackie say to many of her patients, she would challenge them and say, maybe you need to disconnect a little bit from some of the social media because there was so much. And it seemed at times like it was sensationalistic reporting. It seemed like there was a lot of fear-mongering. I know that you've told people, could you just disconnect from your phone or your screens for a half hour, a couple times a day, and just try to reorient yourself? And I don't do really well at that. I'll be the first to recognize that. And I do know that there are times where I might spend 10, 20 minutes getting caught up on Twitter. And there are a lot of knuckleheads on Twitter that are just, I think they're paid to be jerks. And some of them are really good at their job, so they maybe deserve a raise. Yeah. But I think that when I look at the role that Jackie tries to fill as a doctor, she has the scientific background. She gets the medicine. But she also sees the parent and the child in the exam room. And she may pick up on some nonverbal cues that uh, you don't necessarily elicit just by asking questions. And she may know there's something going on here that we don't really want going on. I think a lot of people assume that the world that they see is the real world. I think Dr. Connolly has a tendency to sort of say, this may be the world we're in right now, but this isn't the way the world should be. So we need to do whatever we can for this child to try to get the world back to where it should be the way it should be for this child. And, and that's where sometimes I think some physicians in particular really have gone out defending and championing their patients, trying to make sure that that the moms and the dads and the grandparents and even the patients themselves, if they're at that age where they can understand that it's it's been tough. Yeah. 
it's been tough and, and we need to cut ourselves some slack. We're going to be feeling the impact of what we've gone through over the last 22 months for years and probably decades to come. One thing I, w- I do want to add to that, though, it, it, as kind of a silver lining, what I've found is, is kids are really resilient. Mm-hmm. Kids are so resilient. If you just give them the tools, they can bounce back. They can do so well. And so that's something that I am seeing. Like, yes, kids have, have really had it rough, but kids are so resilient. Yeah. And, they're, 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 you know, you give them the tools, you get them back on track, they're, they're going to do great. The kids may be resilient, but I'm going to be a little bit disagreeable and say this. I'm not certain that gaining the information, learning what they might normally learn at a certain age. Mm-hmm. I don't know how resilient that is. I don't think the jury's in yet. We may find that if you're, if the attention given to you to learn how to read was, if you will, short shrifted for 15, 18 months at a really vulnerable time in your education. I, I don't know. Do we recover that? Or are they as resilient there? I think you're speaking more of the, the emotional resilient yeah. resilience. Yeah. But I, I think there's, there's big questions out there. What have we done to the kids in terms of their likelihood to reach their, their potential? And I think, I think that the jury's still out on that. Yeah. I, do you want to say something? I was going to ask, I, I thought I saw some sort of study or something that said basically for every year that you take off of a kid, like in education, you end up like on average taking two years off of their lifespan. Is that true? And because I, I saw some sort of study that was like, if you add all that up for the last two years, there's like millions and millions of years of, of children's like, well, I mean, it's millions of years that are taken from children. And so I'd have to find the study for that. Don't quote me. <laughs> I don't know. But but I, I just talked about it with another guy on a different podcast that that there's like tons of years taken off. And so that this could be way more catastrophic than we even think. But I think we've seen studies that indicate that education at a certain level is helpful in terms of helping populations reach their expected life potential. And I think that makes sense. But in terms of any quantifiable kind of measurement, I have not seen that. Okay. Well, physiologically, I'm like, I don't know necessarily know, but then I think maybe is it, is it emotionally? Are we, are we not getting them to the emotional state that they need to be in because of some of the, you know, uh, what, what are those, Oh, the that's that early childhood score ACEs adverse childhood mm-hmm. events. Okay. So we know so there's a, there's a score that you can get. It's called adverse childhood event score, and and at a certain level, you you start to see these adverse childhood events have physical problems down the road. Mm-hmm. So you start to see higher incidence of diabetes, obesity, mm-hmm. heart disease because of emotional or mm-hmm. events that happen that weren't necessarily related to health. Mm-hmm. And so I could definitely see a correlation mm-hmm. there if in sure. that realm. Yeah. Absolutely. If you have a level of adverse childhood experiences that's here versus here, this one will correlate with greater incidence of mental illness, greater likelihood for not achieving your full academic potential, yeah. things like that. And so I know that uh, therapists, psychologists, psychiatrists, uh, primary care physicians will pay attention to those kinds of things and say, okay, we've got a potentially adverse set of circumstances going on here. We need to try to get on this as quickly as we can because we don't want to let this fester any longer than we have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I got a question. How, so I think, I think what happened in the last two years probably was a lot of like compartmentalizing. You know, I think that we compartmentalized this from this. And I wonder what, what do you guys think when it comes to like 
people having a more comprehensive view of human human beings and human nature and how that plays a role in how people like make policy and, and decide what we're going to do in terms of a pandemic and that kind of thing like how how can we have a more comprehensive view of, of people in general does that make sense it does and I guess not compartmentalize. Sorry, that's I'll take it. That's you go first. Sure. I'll play off that. For me, I would say that I've said this word, these two words, context matters. It matters a lot. If you can help people take a 30,000 foot view so that they're not paralyzed by the fear that's right in front of their nose, I think people do better. We have not done a good job as physicians of talking with our patients because I think it's on us. There should be no secret out there that approximately one out of 100 Americans dies every year, that we have 300 million plus Americans, and we have 3 million Americans die every year, that of those 3 million Americans that die every year, 650,000 die of heart disease, the leading cause, 600,000 die of cancer. There's nothing wrong with Americans understanding that, because when they do, then if someone says, gee whiz, did you hear that we had 20,000 people died of this? The question should be, what, how many people have died of that for the last five years? Let's look at fentanyl deaths, overdose deaths. We're setting records from fentanyl deaths, overdosing. If we compare from year to year to year, and we've had fentanyl around for a while, things aren't getting better getting worse. That matters. The context says we're going in the right direction. And we got to scratch our heads and says, what can we do? I think the same thing with, well, suicide. I think, and someone say, well, the number of suicides didn't change. That may not be enough. We may need to look at the number of suicides in each cohort group. How many were zero to 25, 25 to 50, and 50 to 75? If we're seeing that 25 to 50-year-old group committing suicide at twice the rate previously, that's a huge deal because we're talking about people in the prime of their lives not being able to make the contribution to society they might have made, not being able to pay off all that invested in them in the first 25 years. So I, th I think context really matters. And so when you ask that question, I think, Jackie, you probably see the context. Maybe you could speak to the issue, perhaps especially from being a mom and a doctor. You know, what's the context for you as, as, as a mom and all that's gone on? Yeah. Um, I, I, you Context and compartmentalizing, you know, my, my first thought went to compartmentalizing health in terms of, you know, siloing mental health is this, physical health is this yeah. and this. So that's kind of where my brain initially went on that. Um, and, and, and so I think that, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had there about, you know, not compartmentalizing or siloing your health, right? Mm -hmm. It's all very comprehensive. But in regards to, 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 compartmentalizing as a mom it's it's tough it's tough in being a doctor being a doctor in a pandemic being a mom in a pandemic having a baby in a pandemic um, and trying to make sure that I'm being logical and rational and and taking that 30,000 foot view right is what is what 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 are my kids at risk for from from this standpoint what are they at risk for from this standpoint and and trying to take a comprehensive view of their risk rather than saying this is the 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 risk that I'm hearing the most about, that's, so that's the only thing I'm going to worry about. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does, and I think that it's interesting that I think there's a fair amount of patients that want to see you over me 
not just because you're better looking, but <laughs> that, maybe that was a little bit too agreeable, Andy. I, I think that people appreciate that perspective you bring, that as a, a mom raising small children and as a doctor and as someone who's very concerned about what kinds of experiences are your kids having through the various policy decisions that touch the COVID. And people see you and say, she gets it. She's living the same path. She's living the same life I am. She's walking the same path. I'm going to see her because I know that when she gives me advice, she's going to be doing it not just from the brain, but also from the heart. And I think hats off to you. Andy always wraps these things up with one big question. Yeah, so I got to ask. So we do this thing called What's Good, Scott? So I asked Scott what's good, what's a positive thing that has happened in his life. So we'll do What's Good, Scott, and then we'll do What's Good, Jackie. But what's good, Scott? Well, I thought you were going to start with Jackie. <laughs> no, it's what's good, Scott. And I would say that I like the concept of a slowdown at uh, Christmas time. Yeah. I think both medically and also in my the various activities in my personal life that take time. I look forward to the coming five to seven days where there'll be a little bit more time to put your, your feet up. Maybe turn the fireplace on, have a glass of a cup of hot apple cider. I think just decompressing. And in the decompressing, oftentimes, wisdom is right around the corner. Yeah, that's great. What's good, Jackie? What's good? I mean, so many things. Oh, man, that's a tough one. Give us two. Give us two? Okay. Um... Man, Christmas is, like, hands down my favorite time of year. I am the quintessential, like peppermint mocha season like this is yeah. this is my jam right yeah. this is great i've been listening to christmas music since halloween so what's good um christmas is around the corner i've got a three and a one-year-old and i am just i can't wait to do christmas with them and with dad and mom um so that's really good and then just what's good practice the clinic business this is it's just it's just been really really good really fun and I'm optimistic that, you know, we're, we're on the right track. Things will get better. You've surprised me at uh, how much uh, you've, uh, you've enjoyed the administrative side of the clinic. Yeah. That's a little bit of an add-on. But I guess that's the other thing I might add that's good is that I think as Jackie slowly walks that path where she's going to ultimately be my boss, I think she, she likes some of that stuff that mm-hmm. I probably didn't like as much so i'm really that's a really good thing for for a dad who's who's getting old yeah well i'm gonna release this one right before christmas so i want to ask one extra question what's your guys favorite christmas song silver bells silver bells yep yeah i sang it when i was in first grade i had to memorize the words we were really bad but my mom told me i really did a good job i bet she did <laughs> yeah and i bet you really did a bad job too <laughs> you know i have feelings i do have feelings i know okay sorry, sorry. oh man that's a tough one it really is it, it is <laughs> what's, what's the one by wham Oh, um... Last Christmas? Last, Last Christmas. Christmas. Yeah, yeah that one. I think we got to stop clearly, right there. No, <laughs> yeah. no, clearly it's my favorite song as I yes. could not think of the yeah, words what's the name? What's the name of it? You know, Last the one. Last Christmas Wham. I, I do like oh, All I Want for Christmas is You by Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Okay. That's a good so, one. No big deal. That's but anyways, um, well, thanks for coming on and doing this. Good it was really fun. Yep, thanks. Um, for everybody listening, thank you for listening. Make sure to like, subscribe, share, follow. Go to drscottjensen.com and all those great things. And we'll see you guys in the next one. Goodbye. Thank you. Thanks. Great.